the original primal user interface is the human hand, unifying control of our gadgets and devices through gesture. I'm Tanya Hall and joining me is John Underkoffler, founder and CEO of Oblong Industries. Welcome, John. Thanks, Tanya. Great to be back. Well, thanks again for joining us um, and thanks again for coming back. So for those who may not actually have seen any of your previous interviews, explain the problems that Oblong Industries solves. Whoa, okay. Um, well, it has not solved my inability to get a haircut. So for your viewers who are tonsorially minded, I apologize. Um, I'm going to get this fixed shortly. We can just cover that part of the screen. Oblong has been around since, uh, uh, since about 2006, 2007. We've been on a mission really to, I don't want to say reform, but to advance the state of user interface, which from my point of view, from my money and from Oblong's point of view is in a, uh, a kind of dire state of stasis. Um, the, the converse of that, and has been at the core of our thesis at Oblong all along is if you can build a real new UI, get it broadly out into the world, then you will enable uh, unimaginable new kinds of work, uh, enable new kinds of value creation, and a whole bunch of other stuff, not just quantitative, but qualitative. It's not that people would be able to do more things, fast, the same things faster, but we're talking about letting people do entirely new kinds of things. Uh, and all of this really for us comes to, to a head in, uh, in the manifestation as mezzanine, which is our product family around collaboration. Because if I had to name one thing that our current very, very old conception of UI doesn't let people do, it's collaborate, right? The UI that's on your smartphone, on your tablet, on your laptop, on your desktop machine is fine. It's very sparkly and very nice, but it was always and only ever intended to serve the needs of one person at a time. So this, this fundamental idea that, yeah, we need to work together. We're only going to make it through the 21st century if we figure out how to collaborate in really deep ways as a species, as organizations, as, as peoples, as nations, as governments, whatever it is, is going to require collaboration. But these tools, these digital tools that we've based our entire society on are not ready for collaboration, not at least the way uh, I know that it could be. So Oblong really is in the business of solving the collaboration problem through the lens of new user interface. You're a pioneer in the user interface gesture control universe, in fact. To help set the stage, give us a brief summary of your contributions to movies, Minority Report, and uh, Iron Man. Well, whether they were contributions or not uh, is really for you and your viewers to decide. I can just sort of describe what happened. Uh, but the, the, I, I, I view it in, in kind of three phases. One was that as a researcher and a graduate student at the MIT Media Lab, back in the late 80s and, and early and mid, and unfortunately for my parents also moving into the late 90s, uh, I was obsessed with the idea of UI, uh, which is still where I'm working, and the idea that, you know, that, there would, that there was the opportunity to do something really new and really huge that could change how humankind works with digital systems and make it, make it a, a much more sort of human-centric proposition. And in those earliest experiments, I was already saying that, well, you know, we're not making great use of human hands, right? We're, when they're on a keyboard, that's okay if you're typing text, if you're actually typing uh, into a keyboard to emulate human language. But if you're using a mouse, then you, you know, you're taking all of the degrees of freedom that this incredible instrument has and you're kind of 
lopping it off as it were and just going down to kind of integer x and y as you push the mouse around the the, the mouse pad or your finger around the, the trackpad on your machine so drop the mouse and let your hands do what hands do let them pick up objects and move things around let them you know grab objects and bring them toward you to understand them to move objects around in space and that led to a series of systems that i built uh, at mit that we called the luminous room and it was the idea that you'd you'd break open the display and let the pixels actually go onto surfaces in the room so the pixels aren't trapped in the display anymore as they are still today they live on tables and on the floor and on the walls and wherever you might need to interact and that interaction happens through hands and often hands that are holding you know different objects that that kind of work as tools or handles into the space um, and those experiments were pretty exhilarating they became very popular demos at, at the Media Lab. Um, and one of the things that they did was to catch the attention of Alex McDowell, who was the production designer, or, or the production designer elect, uh, to use political terms, for the just greenlit film Minority Report. And this was in, in 2000 when I first met Alex. He saw the stuff I'd been doing at the Media Lab and said, wait a minute, this, this really solves the biggest design problem we have in Spielberg's film, which is what what are computers gonna look like? Well, not only, not only what will they look like, how will people interact with them? And Spielberg had said, please, please, please tell me, you know, don't tell me it's gonna be keyboard and mice 50 years from now, which was when the movie was set. Let's do something new. And Alex felt that this idea of human hands, uh, of big expanses of pixels, really was the answer to that question. So on Thanksgiving day, 2000, I moved out to LA and joined the art department, the production crew of Minority Report, spent the next year of my life designing, actually, uh, I was responsible for all of the, the future tech um, that was seen in the movie. I didn't, you know, I didn't invent all of it myself, but curating it, inventing some of it, bolting it all together so it, so it read as a coherent universe. And the biggest piece that I spent the most time on, because it was closest to home, was this, this future gestural, spatial, collaborative interface for the Tom Cruise character, and then increasingly other characters in the film's pre-crime scenes, the sort of forensic pre-detection scenes to use. And the proposition there uh, from a filmic point of view was the precogs are, for those of you who haven't seen the film, the precogs are you know, sadly floating around in their little milky bath, dreaming of violent crime all day long. Their dreams are kind of being transduced into video form and pictures. How as, a, how, as a Tom Cruise super cop, can you make sense of all of those, that, that big jumble of images and, uh, and video previsions or precognitions so that you know where the crime is going to take place, who the perpetrator is, who the victim or victims are, what, what time it, you know, what, where, when, who, and how, all that stuff. So you can scramble your, your police force to get there and intercept the crime before it happens. So this was a job for UI. This was a job not for AI, which you know Spielberg had already tackled the year or two before, but for UI. And secretly, that was my mission in designing this stuff, to show how powerful and appropriately designed UI could be. These are some of the best detectives in the world, but without these tools, without the UI to assist them, to kind of uh, put on almost like gloves, uh, which we will get to in a second, you know, they don't have enough reach. And so the idea was in those scenes, there's a giant curved screen of vast expanse of pixels that can hold more information than one of these little screens. And that's a fundamental idea. Like, can you see enough? 
Can you see enough here? Well, yes, if it's a shopping list. No, if you're a city planner or no, if you're, you know, a security operator that needs to understand what's happening at the port of Los Angeles or any other kind of global scale problem space or a brain surgeon, whatever it is. So you need more pixels, you need more display space to understand the problem at scale. And then how do you interact with it? Well, you're not, you know, there with your face pressed up against all these pixels. You've backed off so you can see the whole thing. And that's where gesture comes in. Because gesture is, you know, that incredible human, uh, well, pointing in particular is where we have to sort of zero in because pointing is that human reflex and human ability. Uh, it is a gesture that is spatial. So it connects your, your body uh, in a visual sense to distant bits of information. And it does it in a social way so that other people who are looking at you can tell what you're pointing at. So the simple proposition there was, let's let the machine also understand what's being pointed at. And suddenly you've got action at a distance. You've got a whole bunch of images that you need to work with. Well, just grab them from across the room. You can see them, you can point at them. Your eyes have incredible fidelity and angular accuracy. So does pointing. Grab it, move it, juxtapose it, use a whole gestural language to operate this kind of mega visual space. And um, boy, that's a lot of talking, I'm sorry. But uh, so we, I designed the, uh, the, the gestural language, trained the actors, and when it came time to film, uh, even though you know, there was nothing on the screens, uh, and the actors knew what they'd be seeing. They knew what was happening and they were driving those systems, even though it was kind of an act of imagination. But we'd rehearsed, they knew you know, why they were doing this and this, and they knew that it was one finger point versus two finger point. The whole language was already embedded in these actors' heads. And they were, in a sense, the world's first users of mezzanine. It's just that we hadn't found it oblong and hadn't built it yet. So just because we can do something doesn't yep. mean we should. No, ma'am. Agreed. What factors determine whether a particular function is a good candidate for gesture control or, or maybe not? Well, and I, I think that this set of metrics, this set of criteria isn't unique to gesture. It applies to any proposed, you know, interface technology or interface modality. Could you do the same thing better and faster, maybe even cheaper with existing techniques? Right, so that's, that's the first cutoff. Um, in this case, you've got giant screens arrayed around the room. The operators of the system are standing back from it. Um, they don't, you know, it, a mouse doesn't make sense. Direct touch doesn't make sense because you're not, you're not there. Uh, and if you said, well, touch should do it, then you've got people running around a big space to touch. That, that, that's not good. Gesture is great because you've got this kind of angle multiplier thing. You can stand back and still access a 100-foot wall of pixels, as we do a 40-foot wall, actually, uh, at our secret warehouse here in Los Angeles. And, and that's a topic for a different day. On the other hand, if, you, if there were some existing methodology or interface modality that could get at the needs of some system that you're designing or planning. There's no need to reach for something just because it's new or just because it's sort of technically exciting. So it has to, it has to be motivated. The, you know, when you reach for a new UI technology, it should be motivated by something. Are the underlying technologies needed to implement mobile device gesture control mature enough to be effective today? I think we're about to learn. Uh, and, and there's, a, I mean, we know that, uh, that almost all of the major 
smartphone handset, you can still say handset, I'd like to, handset manufacturers um, are incorporating some or other, uh, you know, technology around gesture control or depth sensing. Everybody's got some version of this in here. I think that the, the underlying technologies, the raw technologies are probably close enough to do some interesting things. The question, and it's gonna play out in real time now, is how they're being applied. What do you get to do with, you know, gesture control or proximity control or eye tracking or, you know, whatever the, whatever the application is in the context of a phone and the phone's existing UI. Is there any merit in employing the talent of or creativity of musicians, stage performers, dancers, or other artists in helping maybe formulate gesture UI? Uh, constantly, and not just gesture UI, any UI. I mean, I'm, I, I'm pretty, uh, pretty volubly on record as saying that the worst place to go for new UI inspiration is existing UI. It's too small a field, it's not old enough. Instead, we have to look at the rest of the existing world, and especially those parts of the human world that are about synthesis, creation, creativity. So I think, you know, UI needs to look at cinema, it needs to look at architecture, it needs to look at biology, there's ABC, not in that order, and so on through the alphabet D, dance is a really superb fourth, uh, fourth category. So what, what's, what do all of these disciplines have in common? Well, they're all about space. They're all about the ways that human bodies move through and make use of physical space. We build architecture to house and guide human activity. Uh, we dance to interpret emotion and narrative and story, uh, and we do it in space. Biology has spent um, three to four billion years figuring out how to arrange itself in space and how to swim toward or away from things that it, you know, that it wants to eat or not get eaten by and so forth. Um, and cinema is, the, is maybe the greatest human invention that talks about space. It talks about how stories occupy space, how uh, events, causal events, this because of that and therefore that, and then the next thing is this, move through space and how that intersects with uh, emotional uh, and, uh, and narrative trajectories. So all of these things comprise just the world's greatest source of inspiration, uh, and in some cases directly actionable interface design elements um, that uh, that we could hope for and it's just a matter really of going to that library and checking out as many books as you can what feature or function if you will in the 21st century office automobile or smart home is begging for disruption by gesture control i think you know uh we're uh, as technology inventors, practitioners, whatever you want to call us, we, we tend to think in very isolated and modular, well, isolated and not nearly modular enough ways, which is kind of the whole history of technology-based invention. It's sort of one device, one invention, uh, and, and often in isolation from a larger context. So where I'm going with that, because I can tell already from the sentence that it's not clear, is that, uh, you know, we see gesture control being applied to video games that we know will be hooked up to someone's, you know, impressively large TV in their living room, but just that one device. I think gesture, um, and, and let's, this is really important, more generally spatial interface. 
So whether you're using your hands, whether your phone, you know, is, uh, is newly a thing that can point accurately around the room, whether you have some, just happen to have this on my desk, it's a new uh, 3D printed model, whether, you know, you've got a special purpose spatial pointing wand, um, or, you know, whether you have appropriately configured fruit, I just have things on my desk, so I'm holding them up. Uh, with whatever it is, I, sometimes there's, uh, there's an argument for it not being bare hands and rather being a tool that has other functionality, like, like a phone. Anyway, whatever it is, uh, spatial is kind of the surrounding category that encapsulates gesture, let's say. But whether it's gesture or whether it's more generally spatial control, if you're in the middle of a room and that room has a whole lot of devices, as rooms increasingly do, I think there's an enormous opportunity, like a human cognitive opportunity, a commercial opportunity for whoever figured this out, figures this out, um, you know, a, a UI opportunity for someone to do the right thing finally and give us a better future around bringing all of the functionality of these different devices together through a single UI, a spatial UI, right? So if the, you know, if it's the phone, great. If your phone can point at the thermostat, the smart thermostat and your TV and the, you know, if you can drag the show that you're watching in the living room from that TV to the kitchen, because you've got to go in and get some, you know, health conscious yeast snaps or Entenmann's donuts or whatever it is you need to get, uh, or up to your bedroom because you want to, you know, finish your Alfred Hitchcock Presents show, you know, while you drift off to sleep or whatever. Like that idea that you connect technology in a space that's well-defined because it's your house, it's your environment. And it's not you kind of projecting your consciousness into one device at a time, but it's rather you saying, this is my house uh, and I'm going to move this from here to here and I know where all the stuff is. I think that's enormously powerful. And that's a step that no one has quite said that they're ready for yet. Um, but I bet that you and I are ready for it. Well, I know I am, John. And thanks for giving us some insight on that. John Undercoffler, founder and CEO of Oblong Industries. If somebody wants to connect with you, maybe they want some more of your insight or maybe the best recipe for bread, how can they do that? <laughs> Um, the very best thing to do is to go to oblong.com, simply spelled and punctuated, uh, like the very best websites. Uh, on Twitter, I'm uh, lamentably unprolific, but I'm uh, John underscore under, and you can see a little bit of history there, and then just the regular old search engine search around all the obvious words and names will do a good job, but go to oblong.com. So you're not on TikTok, John? I mean, come on. What? No, I'm... <laughs> I know what you're talking about. I just haven't had time. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, John. And if Thank you guys want to find more of my interviews, you can do that right here or go to tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching. Mm -hmm.